You are listening to WMNF Tampa. WMNF, the best little station in the nation. Welcome to the afternoon. My name is Joellen Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest. We're going to be talking about dreams today on Art in Your Ear. We'll be speaking with uh, the Dolly Museum about their new show, The Shape of Dreams. But meanwhile, let's listen to some tune yards. On 88.5. Is the tune yards playing and behind 
Let's see. Can you hear it? Okay. In the background, we've got a ukulele version of Fade Into You by Mazzy Star because it is kind of uke time here at WMNF. We have our wonderful, so much fun, delightful, absolutely hands down, one of the most lovely days in St. Petersburg is tomorrow at Cage Brewing, the Uke It Out Festival number seven. We'll give you more information later about that. So I've got a mix of music for you today, including some ukulele music. And then also, since we're talking about ukes at two o'clock on the Live Music Showcase, they're having a preview of the uke fest. Uh, But so excited coming on today's Art in Your Era. We're going to be talking to doctors Hank Hines and Kim Macaroo, Macaroo, sorry, Matt, Kim, uh, about the shape of dreams. It's a new exhibit at the Dolly Museum, and I love it. So I'm very excited to talk about that uh, with them, and I hope you'll stay tuned. I do want to let you know before I talk to them, we've got a couple things I want to let you know about the. Uh, Pinellas has opened up, Creative Pinellas has opened up their Professional Artist Grants Award. They have $5,000 award for artists of different genres. Those genres include dance and choreography, uh, interdisciplinary work, literature, media arts, musical performance, music composition, acting, theater, all the sorts of theater, visual arts. They also have an Artist Laureate Grant. And that just opened. You have to apply by April 13th. And they usually have workshops to help you along with that. If you're interested in getting this information, you can email me here in the studio at dj at wmnf.org, or you can just email me. It's Joe Ellen, J-O-E-L-L-E-N, Joe Ellen at wmnf.org, and I will send you the information. If you do want to get in touch with us, well, that's the dj at wmnf.org, or you can always send us a text at 813-433-0885. Coming up also, I've got some great music for you that does have ukuleles. We've got some music that doesn't have ukuleles, too. And then we also have uh, stuff going on around town. Let me... I got a minute. I'll give you something else going on in Gulfport. Uh, the DRV Gallery is inviting artists to showcase art for a cause. And that application is open through December 15th. They are looking for, uh, it's an online gallery or you can apply online. And then uh, the uh, Katie Dietz, who is the executive director at Florida Crafts, is the juror for the show. Again, if you're interested in this, I'm going to post it on our Facebook page, Art in Your Ear Facebook page, and then I can also send this to you. If you go online to wmnf.org and go to the Art in Your Ear page there, you can see a bunch of pictures that I took at the Dolly Museum for this exhibit. So, all right, so we are going to go on with our next song. Uh, So we've been listening to uh, Al Wood doing Fade Into You, and we're going to fade... We're going to fade out, Al, sorry, buddy, uh, and get some Paul McCartney on because Paul McCartney also played the ukulele on one of my favorite Paul McCartney releases. And then we'll be talking with the Dolly Museum here on Art in Your Ear on WMNF 88.5 FM. Okay. 
right above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in a sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me Say nighty-night and kiss me Just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream of me Well, we're going to start dreaming right now uh, welcome to the airways, or welcome, I'm going to start with, welcome back to the airways, Dr. Hank Hine from the Dali Museum, and welcome to the airways, Dr. Kim McQuower, nope, I said it wrong, McQuower, I don't know, why am I like this, um, the head of programming and co-director of the Innovations Lab at the Dali Museum. Thanks for calling in. Thank you, Joellen, we're glad to be with you. It's so, a pleasure, Joellen. Um, so I, I am so intrigued about this show. Uh, the Dali Museum, of course, because of Dur uh, Dali and surrealism in general and, and exhibits that you've had over the last many years, the idea of dreams is not foreign to what you do, but to have an exhibit sort of focusing on the last 500, of how dreams are depicted in the last 500 years of Western art, that's a, that's a pretty interesting and wonderful, fun topic. What was the beginning? What were the seeds of doing this? Well, of course, you know, dream is considered as a very creative source uh, for artists. And uh, dream, of course, is something that uh, many of Dolly's works originate from. It's uh, part of, of every consideration of, of image and meaning, that part of our life where we experience things so emotionally and intensely and then that they're, they disappear so quickly. But we thought it would be really interesting to have a show that concentrated only on things that seemed to depict uh, the shape of a dream, what a dream looked like, how it was manifest. Were you, uh, I mean, when you walk through the, and of course people can go through exhibits in whatever manner they wish, but when you walk through this exhibit, it sort of has these different sections of, of like, the aspects of dreams. And those sections are not, uh, they're not linked to a certain period in time, but they're sort of linked to a philosophy. So how, when you all were, were doing this, or, or when you were like, okay, this is what we want to do, how were you, how did you start off by arranging it in your heads before it got to like, we want this work? Like what prompted that? Which works were you like, oh yeah, we, ought to have, to, we have to have this? Or, I mean, it just seems yeah. like there's so, to narrow it down, <laughs> it didn't seem like it was a problem of having not enough. <laughs> I guess is what right, I'm saying. Right. Well, well I, I can see you've been through, Joellen, and twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's it's organized thematically, and really the themes are the questions that we ask ourselves about dreams. You know, the first question is, where did that come from? Um, there's a wonderful poem by Billy Collins about the first person to dream and how they might have gone sat by a, a pond and thought, how did they? How did they go somewhere without going? And how did they feel uh, the animal's breath on their neck when before they had to kill the animal with stones to get that close? So what is this thing that enters us, the dream? So we ask, where do they come from? And then the next section is, what, what is their nature? Are, are they private? Are they public? And then 
thinking of art as a kind of dreaming, and uh, art seems to have a lot of the same processes of, of as dream. That is the consolidation of memory over time, um, random impulses entering, and of course a, a direct connection to the body. Uh, then we look at visions and nightmares, and uh, th- those uh, you know that subspecies of dream, the nightmare, and finally. The uses of dreams, you know, are dreams useful? Can they help us? Uh, Freud asked the question, can a dream help us alter an opinion that we had before the dream? Can we make some use of it? Can we change the way we approach life or how we evaluate our experiences? So all these things are tackled by artists. And um, so we begin in the end of the 16th century uh, with Luca Giordano and the dream of Catherine Alexandria. Uh, And then we end up with a a beautiful Pat Steer painting from the mid-90s, which is called uh, 15 Waterfalls of Dream, Sentiment, and Memory. That's a stunning painting, too, especially uh, Peter Tush was giving a tour and was talking about the layers and layers and layers, which I thought was a a good way to sort of say there's so many layers to a dream. It's not ever just this initial thing or the tiny thing we remember. Exactly. And I I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Innovation Foundation. So I think that... uh, Before we do that, I do have more questions. (laughs) Not yet. Well, well, okay. But I want to connect dream to... uh, to creativity and innovation as as a source. So um, we, we we'll will. Come back to that we definitely will because it fits in actually with what I'm saying because Hank, you are many things. <laughs> you are we all contain multitudes, and one of your multitudes is that you're also a poet. And you know, uh, and you brought up Billy Collins and and about you know who's the first the first dream the first dreamer. But poetry is a lot a lot of times um, sort of has has the same qualities as dreams in that there's meaning and there's juxtapositioning that maybe are not uh, logical, but they create meaning. And so I was kind of wondering when you were in the creative part of this, what not in the the you know negotiating contracts to you know to get art, not this and that, but when you were creating it, what your creative, process. And Kim, this is for you too. What the creative process is when you're curating an art show and how you, how you understand what way you want to go. Like what are your personal tools to get mm. to that? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, dream is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, uh, <clears throat> you have to solve some of the problems by, by dreaming. Uh, and actually we, we have a quote from Dolly there. He says, uh, what you cannot do you must prevent yourself from trying to do, and the dream will solve for you. Oh, hmm. And uh, I think there is an element of that. Uh, it has to be hard, you know. Putting together the show has to be hard. You have to have problems like, how am I going to arrange this? How are people going to move through it? Um, what kind of colors, uh, you know, are going to provide any kind of helpful environment? Uh, where do we want to have signage? How much? Uh, all those things, and it, you you keep turning it over in your mind with with no certainty whatsoever until you kind of dream uh, a solution. Mm, I love that, and uh, and there there's a mixture of work, and there's also a mixture of ways to 
or, or how the work is there. There's a lot of, I mean, of course, there's some Dalis in there. Uh, there's some uh, reproductions of paintings in there. And then there's original work in there. Uh, when you all were choosing specific works, and I'm thinking very specifically about the Frida Kahlo Tunas, uh, the three sort of stages of the prickly pear, um, mm. that painting. And it's not... You know, for as an exa- for example, for the show, one of the reasons why I love it so much, it isn't an obvious choice, but it turns out to be a perfect choice. So, so how did that? Like, how did you know this is? We want this, and we want this, and, and we want to have a Jacob's ladder, and we want to paint on the floor, and we want to, you know, and then we get to go to the really one of those showstoppers, of course, is the final room, the AI room. But before that, like, how come these specific works and? You know, and I want to talk specifically about that Frida Kahlo work because it is so unusual, and then all of a sudden it's, in its own way, a little bit of a fulcrum within the show. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful painting. It's small, but really luminous. It's a jewel. <laughs> it, yeah, and it shows um, this prickly pear, un, un, um, the tuna, prickly pear fruit, uh, you know, unpeeled and then freshly peeled, and then the one that it starts looking like a heart, like an organ, and it's exuding this corpuscular stuff. (laughs) And it's stained the cloth around it, which the cloth, of course, whenever a painter paints a a shroud, they're referencing, you know, the Veronica's veil, the shroud that brought Christ's image up, and there's a little stain of the prickly pear blood on the cloth. So it's like uh, it's like things metamorphosing as they do in dream, changing from one thing to another, and this prickly pear is becoming somewhat human and then transcendent uh, with the cloth. But how there, you know, one, one aspect of the show, and you mentioned to me that uh, you liked the ladder. We made a... a, a a, a ladder that was taken from one of Miro's paintings, uh, because Jacob's ladder, that uh, that dream that Jacob had in which he saw a staircase that led to heaven, uh, and that would allow the angels to descend and, and the human spirit to ascend. Uh, that's one of the themes of the show. So we were we we're kind of going up and down. The paintings are in the middle. Information about the show; those areas are on the floor and. Uh, information about the painting is also uh, at floor level. Uh, and then you have to raise your eyes heavenwards to see a few stars and the, the ladder that leads you there. Is there, a, um, uh, and, and I can see how this would be definitely related to Dolly, it seems like there is a, a spiritual or religious component that is in a lot of the art in relating to dreams. And, and that, you know, was that a very definite um, part that you guys wanted to explore is that sort of the spirituality that's embedded or the spirituality that we've applied to them? Well, I, I think the dreams, you know, are, are single absolute proof that there's more to the world than what we can, the senses can perceive. Um, you know, so it is religious. It's transcendence about going beyond of the material sensate world into something that's completely uh, its own and completely as absorbing as this thing we call reality. Remember, uh, Calderon de la Barca said, the dream begins when we awake. Uh-huh. That, that there are two worlds, and which one is the dream, we're not sure. Hey, wait, isn't that the Matrix? <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Well, listeners, we're speaking. You just heard uh, Dr. Hank Hine, and, and then we also have Dr. Kim Mc- 
Oh, Kim, don't hate me. Kim McQuarrie. I know. I have it written down phonetically, and it's just not. And, and Kim, you don't know me, but I have to ruin, I have to butcher a person's name every single week, and I'm so sorry that it turned out to be you this week. Um, but uh, here on Talking About the Shape of Dreams, a show that opened up at the Dolly just right around, uh, right after Thanksgiving and is up until the 30th of April. Uh, and one of the showstoppers or, or the delights, and it was, uh, it was great to see, is in the final room. So there's, you move through this large space that has these different aspects of dreaming. And then there's like a literature room that is, uh, and I have to say, this is a delightful, not just the art, but the whole way it's set together, the the colors used, there's a sense of fun throughout the show, uh, a sense of, you know, let's let's just have a little bit more fun with this than usual. But then that last room where you all have had a lot of innovative stuff in there, so I'm assuming this comes from maybe working with the innovation labs, Kim, uh, but the last room is uh, AI uh, from Dal, now from the Dal E, I, you're going to have to explain that to people. <laughs> yes. So, <clears throat> when you think about, um, you know, you mentioned Innovation Lab, and I think that you know um, Hank obviously is um, the founder of the Innovation Lab, and he has infused um, this kind of thinking throughout the institution, and it absolutely informs. Um, his vision and the direction of everything we do. So when we're thinking about having an institution that showcases the work of a man like Dali, we're thinking of someone who was eternally innovative, someone who was focused on how he could see things differently, how he could get other people to see them differently, and how he could engage in a constant process of reinvention that eternally refreshed himself and refreshed his art. And so I think that is what we try to draw on in the innovation labs in order to give that spark to the companies and organizations um, that come here and participate in our programs. At the same time, we are also taking that gaze internally, and we're using it to inform how we think about our exhibitions, how we think about our digital components, how we think about even the programming and events. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier when you were asking Hank um, about the genesis of his vision for the show and how it evolved. You know, on the programming side, you know, we have to kind of go through a similar process because knowing how this show plays out and the themes that it wants to hit, then I need to kind of go back into that um, creative thinking, creative problem mindset and ask myself, how might we create programs and events? that allow the audience to not only experience, you know, the content, like, oh, this is where dreams come from, but how they might experience some of those same sensations or how we might create in different modalities um, these experiences from them, whether that be a lecture or a performance or a dance or a food event. But we need to evoke all of those things, and that all comes back to creative problem solving. You know, it's it's a creative problem to solve. And, and Kim reaches out in, in various media. She's brought in dancers and jazz musicians and academics and people who are not academics who just want to talk about a, a subject in the arts. So her program does have all uh, her programs have all these dimensions, and, and that of course is, is like dreaming too, where things just pop out of we can't explain it. <laughs> well, it seems too that the process, like to talk, you know, because I went in there and I had um, and listeners, this is on my it is on the art in your ear page on WMNF. 
org if you want to look at it. But so I went in there and they're like, give a prompt. And so I did, and don't, don't judge me. Um, I did giraffes and thieves on an unending road next to the beach. Um, uh. And uh, because I watch all these people playing with AI on TikTok. And so I was like, I was so ready to have fun with it. Um, and it came up with this image that never in a million years would have would I have come up with myself, but it was fantastic. But there was also sort of a theme, everyone's images, because I also have, uh, uh, dear listeners, the picture of what everybody's was that day. I think there was like six or eight that it stitches together. Um, and it made me think that the process for that, like the mechanical process for AI to function is also sort of the same thing that our brain does to dream. It searches for something that represents what what our brain needs it to represent. And sometimes it makes no sense and sometimes it does make sense, but it makes internal sense to, so the AI process, it makes internal sense to the uh, dream process. You hit that that precisely. Wow, that's that's really true. Nicely, nicely put. But one of the elements of the of the you know open AI that they created something called Dolly. I know, I love that. Uh, right, and it was a mixture of of Wally and Salvador Dolly, uh, and you know essentially they have this big catalog of images. They crawled the internet. There were something like five hundred million images, and then they taught uh, taught an association with words and. Then we put in prompts uh, for different artistic styles. So these things could come out like photographs, but we asked it to come out like some of the genres of painting in the show, which is, you know, like mannerism and romanticism, naturalism, symbolism, surrealism, cubism. And uh, it it, uh, has a mind of its own. It goes through and and creates images, usually uh, 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 of, of a certain kind of feel. So what's really wonderful is that this isn't just a way to see your own dreams. It's a way to see the dreams of others combined with yours. And so uh, six people at a time can can describe their dreams and create a painting of their dreams. And then the artificial intelligence weaves them together and creates like a, a unified human vision connecting people, which is really something that's never been done. It's really interesting. And what you all did, and, uh, and Kim, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this, is that it can be set to, so there's a coherence, some coherence between everything. So it's not like 97 different styles and then also right. six different people's stuff with a whole slew of things. And uh, we just talked, because I thought that was, when when uh, I heard about it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, I totally get this. Will you just talk a little bit about that as well? I mean, I just want to mention the thematic nature of that because, of course, I mean, you can set the you can set the technology, the algorithm, so that it creates a consonant style to kind of stitch all of these things together, and then also, of course, it is filling in between the images in ways that seem um, appropriate or logical. Right. But I think, on a thematic note, it's even more interesting because I think it brings out um, what is unique about the dream, and that is that it is at once an intensely personal experience and a universal experience. Mm, I like um, that. 
Yeah, we come to these things and some of the things that we dream about, they're you know, intensely personal, they're things that happen, and yet it's something that all of us share. And so that's why we're so fascinated and drawn to it. And so I, that's what I love about the dream tapestry experience is that it really brings out that thematic connection in a lived way as you're experiencing um, the technology. And to be honest, like not all the time, but I would say 86% of the time when somebody's like, oh, I want to tell you about my dream, people are like, oh, God, no. But I would say that definitely the Dali sort of, I want to tell you about my dream in that room is like, yeah, please do. I cannot wait to see this. (laughs) So we're speaking with the Dalai Museum about the shape of dreams, a show that opened up just after Thanksgiving. Uh, One of the other things that I, and and there's so many parts of the show that I think was interesting, but one of the other uh, things that I was wondering when you started gathering the work, I mean, the work comes from a wide variety of uh, arts institutions around the country, not just from the Dali archives. Uh, so will you just talk for a, about, um, I love logistics. So will you just talk very briefly kind of about what the logistics are to borrow something? I mean, did you have to, uh, some image, I think sometimes it's images that are borrowed, but obviously there's some actual work that is borrowed and some amazing work that is borrowed. So how do you, you know, how, how, long before an exhibition? Do you have to start working on that stuff? How is that process done when you're like, oh, it'd be so great if we had this, you know, this piece in our show? How do you, how do you yeah. guys do that? Well, you, you send out a, a letter, a very polite letter, and if you don't get a response, then you probably go visit. That's, that's what I've done. So we have, we have paintings loaned from the Metropolitan Museum, the National Gallery in Washington, the Hirshhorn in Washington, one private collector, St. Louis Art Museum, the New Orleans Art Museum, Chicago Art Institute, and the um, Detroit Art Institute. I mean, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and um, it's really a kind of reciprocal relation. It's not not highly democratic. They they have to kind of think that there's going to be something for them in this. And since we do loan a lot of Dali works, to institutions when you know when we think that the, that painting would really add something, um, then we, it gives us a certain courtesy, so institutions are more willing. Um, so it's a, it's an arduous process, and you don't know, and you have to argue for it a little bit because you know most most institutions, like most people, the first answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and so you you know you just have to keep trying and and um, and find something else if it's not available. We have a terrific research department here, and our research department uh, found for me um, every painting in America that was you know uh, in the major collection that had the word dream in it. So <laughs> so we you know we started there, and and there are some that do not have the word dream in it that we just knew about and are beautiful and compelling and clearly dreamlike or uh, sourced from dreams. But it, it started with research. And then, uh, like I say, we just kept dreaming. <laughs> we have some terrific programs I think the public could be interested in. There, there's a copy of the curator next week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have some really exciting programming um, that is developing is around this exhibit because as always, um, you know, the programming is in waves and we have the first wave um, that's getting ready to um, take shape here. 
So next week, um, we're going to have our Cosway the Curator, um, Dr. Ruthann Ashley of USF, is going to come in and she's going to talk about sleep and dreams through a psychological and scientific lens. Um, and that's going to be a really fascinating discussion to kick us off. And um, later in the run of the show, we'll have lectures um, by Dr. Hank Hine, um, the curator of the show, um, by um, a priest who has spoken for us several times, Father Keffer, who's going to talk about religious visions, and then in April, our own Peter Tosh um, exploring nightmares. Mm. Yeah, and, so and, a lot of a lot of cool um, lectures. And I just want to remind listener, our own Peter Tush, too, who does uh, one of the fantastic shows, Step Outside, which is so perfect for this. I hope that he gets to make a playlist for the for the show. Uh, when you were uh, when you all were working on this, Hank, did you or or Kim, did you before your research department started, did you have any image or any uh, work in mind you wanted in there? Uh, and then I also, after this, want to talk about the book room. Well, there's there's one painting that we wanted and we didn't get. It's from the Detroit Art Institute. It's called The Nightmare by a, a paint, painter named Henry Fuseli. Oh, it's a famous and, painting. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> and they said, we know it's important to your show. We understand, but it's like a centerpiece. People come to Detroit just to see that painting. And it's, it's this woman, uh, a painting of a woman, um, with her arms thrown back and uh, lying on a chaise, and she's unconscious, but she's in this kind of rapture, and it's squatting on her belly is this horrible little creature, <laughs> and it's clearly the nightmare, and it's this combination of horror and eroticism, you know, that it just makes everything all the most, all the worse. But it's an exquisite painting. And so we we did make a reproduction of it just as a reference uh, so people can see the image. Uh, but that that was a, that's an amazing painting that was originally in our minds for sure. Oh, yeah. And now, I just before we go on to the room, I do want to talk about that for a moment because when I first, I figured which painting, which re, was a reproduction that I saw, and it was interesting to walk through with people and their reaction. The first time they saw it, they're like, oh, that's kind of like, you know, like, oh, that's a little strange. And then as they walk through the show, they're like, oh, okay. And the idea that, because I think in museums, sometimes having a reproduction feels a little bit weird. But then it kind of made total sense because the point of the show was really, in a way, very um, emotional and intellectual and spiritual. And you needed to have the work in there. Like, it was most important to have the work in there, however you got it in there, if that, if that makes sense. And I don't know yeah. if that's what you were thinking. Great. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 one of the themes also in it is just this, the, uh, you know, the story of Endymion, the shepherd, and the moon, who's either called Celine or Diana. And he's a handsome shepherd, and he sleeps on the hillside with his flock every night, face upturned to the moon. And she falls in love with him, and she visits him at night. And in one version of the painting, he tries to get up and go with her, and she has to restrain him, saying, no, you know, you're, you're mortal. You can't come with me. You're, the only touch you have with immortality is while you're asleep in your dream. <laughs> and so, you know, it brings out the, the, uh, the sorrow of, right. of dreams is that they can be so evanescent and disappear so quickly. Oh, I love that. Uh, and then so the I don't want to skip over because there's this wonderful sort of 
refuge isn't the right word, but like the stillness of a room. It has these authors in it, their books, and then it's beautifully painted and stuff like that. Um, and I know you're a writer. <laughs> so will you talk about the inclusion of that room in there? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that are rather prosaic in putting together a show. So we have this U-shaped gallery that's rather fixed. Um, it, it, um, it's, it's, you know, got rebars and everything in the wall. So it's not, it can't be removed. And, uh, we didn't really need it for, uh, putting paintings in. And I thought if we did put paintings in it, it would indicate that they were somehow different. So, uh, we decided to make it a, a, a room of the books that, uh, are so kind of the, the pillars of our understanding of dreams. And, and that really starts not with Freud, you know, who brought brought it into the contemporary medical discussion, but with a, a writer named Artemidorus, a second century uh, Latin writer who, who wrote books on the nature and interpretation of dreams. Uh, and then, you know, we've got uh, Young and Joseph Campbell and Lope de Vega, who, who wrote uh, La Vida es Sueño, Life is a Dream. Uh, and... Uh, one of the, the things that we like to close with on this is that uh, Artemidorus said, um, you know, the dream is a gift. And when you have a dream, uh, your proper thanks is to sacrifice and, and give praises. Oh, I love that. Well, uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Hank Hine, the director of the Dolly Museum, and Dr. Kim, oh, Kim, Tim McCarry. <laughs> Macquarie, uh, who is the director of programming and co-director of the Innovation Labs. And Kim, we have to have you back just to talk about the Innovation Labs at some point because yeah. I, it's so interesting. The Dali Museum is located uh, in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg. If you want more information, you can go online to thedali.org or you can give them a call at 727-823-3767. Thank you both so much. Have you guys started keeping dream journals or anything? <laughs> oh yeah! Absolutely. <laughs> are we getting Are we getting any art out of it? <laughs> I put some into the AI. <gasps> really? That's awesome! I swear, I just I want to sneak back in there and play with all this and go after talking now with you all. I want to go back in again because, and I know you have to go, but I just want to say I really love how it's laid out. I really love the progression through it, and um, and I just like extra kudos. I mean, the Dolly Museum always does things well, but I just really enjoyed the show, and I'm so grateful that you did it. Thank you. Thank you. So it was a pleasure to talk to you. It was nice to talk to you. We're going to go into a version of To Be or Not To Be, done on ukulele. It seems perfect for <laughs> the ending of a Dali uh, thing about dreams and then talking, of course, about the ukulele. Thank you so much for coming on Art in Your Ear today. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>
her chance to dream. I there's her offer in that sleep of death, but dreams may come. We have shuffled up this mortal coil. Must give us pause. There's no Saturday, December 3rd at Cage Brewing in St. Pete. Doors open at 2. Kids 12 and under, free. For tickets and info, go to WMNF.org or call 813-238-8001. And I hope to see you there tomorrow. You save a few dollars by getting those tickets in advance. And again, it's just such a fun time. Cage Brewing is on a, what is that, 20th or 22nd Street and 1st Avenue uh, South in St. Pete. There's all sorts of parking and stuff. And they have this great big backyard. There's a covered area where the stage is and picnic tables and, of course, the brewery. And then they have this wonderful outside area with people and they bring their kids and their dogs. And it's just it's just fabulous. I want to mention uh, that last thing we heard was by Courtney Welbin. And she was a high school uh, a high school young woman here in Florida. And this is from many years ago. This was made. And she had to memorize Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be soliloquy. 
by, of course, Shakespeare. And so she decided that it'd be easier to memorize by um, making it making it lyrics for a ukulele song, which I just think is absolutely charming. Um, I want to, uh, let's see, I'm going to play this next piece. I just heard this next uh, piece for the first time yesterday. And uh, it's kind of a song, kind of spoken word piece, and I wanted to play it for you. So I'm going to play it for you, and I'll be right back with some stuff going on around town in uh, there. So here is Warm Doucher. Warm Doucher with Precious Things. My perfect stain, my diamond thing, my tight red stocking, my precious thing, my Chinese whispers, a long goodbye, the scar on your face, a tear in my eye, all these precious things. My sexy thing, my claw mark bird, my passing glance, my special girl, an awkward kiss, a stranger's hand, our dark lit room, this cheap romance. Gracias, de nada, obrigado, arigato. <laughs> I just love that. Um, I also want to mention real quickly, there's a, a, a two things. There is Power Stories has a, a family-friendly true story. It was written by Fran Powers, the, uh, the, the founder of Power Stories, and it has original music. It's called Raising 12 on a Nickel and a Prayer, an original musical spanning three Christmas seasons beginning in 1950 and closing in 1966. Uh, that 
uh, original work is at Power Stories, which is on 2501 West Kennedy Boulevard. And that's uh, started yesterday, and then it is also... Oh, shoot, my laptop is being weird. I'm sorry. And it goes through the uh, 18th of this month. Performances on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at, starting at 7.30, and on Sundays starting at 2. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to powerstories.com. And I also will post this up on the Art in Your Ear Facebook page if you want to see that. And I've been trying to read this uh, gallery thing because there's a cool thing going on in... Um, Darn it. I'm just, I'm trying to be more organized and I sent myself stuff. Uh, so Art for a Cause, it's a juried exhibition that I was talking about. Anyway, that goes to drvgallery.com if you want more information about it. It's the uh, Desiree, uh, can I say this right? Desiree, look, I just lost the name of it. Uh, Desiree Valeri, Valerio. Uh, gallery.com. Uh, so there, that is going on also, and that's in Gulfport, and that should be really fun. I can send all this information to anybody who wants it. All right, I've got a couple more songs. Uh, we've got to get out of here. Uh, e Love Music is next. And then uh, I just want to mention on, we are doing more uke. You cannot get enough uke. More uke stuff and the live music showcase at 2 p.m. where they always have live music, uh, local music and people coming through town. And they have got Tom Hood and the Tropical Suns. They are such a blast at the uke fest. It'll be really fun to hear them and have Ken do a little bit of an interview with them and find out more about those guys. After, just after that show, of course, is Reverend Billy and uh, Billy C. Wirtz and Marvelous Marvin, and they do Rhythm Revival, which is a fantastic show, reaching into the roots of rock and roll. Uh, the music is really fun, and you always hear something you've never heard before on the knowledge base, and those guys are just, uh, they just crack me up every time I listen. They're just wonderful, wonderful broadcasters. After that, at 6 o'clock is the Soul Party. It's classic R&B and soul with Steve the Hitman. At 8 o'clock, we have the Soul Kitchen with uh, the, our resident chef. Jeff and his sous chef, uh, Eddie G and Dave Bryant. And that is a set of a smorgasbord of rhythm-based music. It's got jazz, they've got rock, they've got hip-hop, they've got soul, they've got R&B, they've got everything. It's just a, a great Friday night show. And then we always end the night with Chuck Core Jr.'s wonderful Flashback Friday, some more R&B and soul Florida-based artists and uh, just a great way. If you ever want to get in touch with us, you can always email DJ at WMNF. Org. And thank you so much, everybody, for being out there and for being part of this wonderful radio station. I'm ever so lucky, and I just feel how great life is to know that you all are out there listening, part of our community. We're going to go out with Have You Been Good to Yourself by Johnny Fearson. Please remember to be good to yourself and good to others. You have been listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF 88.5 FM, WMNF, the best little station in the nation. My name's Joel Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the most. Says, take good care, and I will talk to you next week. Be good to yourself. Don't forget that part. Stay tuned for the NPR News and then E Love's beautiful Global Electronica show.
depending on drugs. A lot of people they go too far. A lot of people don't rest enough. A lot of people not eating right. A lot of people not eating right. Turn to drugs. A lot of people are staying drunk. A lot of people are leaving here. A lot of people they need our prayers. 